For the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders, I'm Pat Rich, and this is Leading the Way, the podcast for and about physician leaders. Featuring physicians and others who have leadership roles in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and in managing our healthcare system. In this second part of our special two-part podcast, your host, Dr. Johnny Van Aird, Executive Medical Director of CSPL and the current editor of the Canadian Journal of Physician Leadership, continues his interview with André Picard. André is arguably the best-known and most respected health journalist in Canada. We join this episode as Johnny continues the conversation he has been having with André. Going back a little bit to the relationship between physicians and patients, I mean, one of the things that has been reflecting on lately is that there is... I mean, rightly so. There's a, there's a major movement now towards inclusion and partnering with patients in all the aspects of planning and delivering care. But there is a balance here that physicians have to strike. On the one hand, respecting the patient's desires. And then on the other hand, the physician's wishes and desire to deliver what they believe to be the best evidence-based care. And that's a difficult balance. Any thought on that, how that balance could be struck? Yeah, so I think, you know, patient-centered care, family-centered care doesn't mean someone gets everything they want, and that's that. It has to be a partnership. It has to be an exchange. I always say, and, and doctors don't always like this analogy, but I always say there's three people in the room. There's the patient, there's the physician, and then there's the, the system. There's the public good, and it places limitations on money, on availability. You know, we have to ration, and that has to be done. So there, it can't be just an open-ended, uh, I get whatever I want, and it can't be father knows best, the doctor tells you what to do. It has to be an exchange, and it has to be within parameters. And that's not always easy, but we have to find that balance. And again, I think the best systems in the world do that. They find that balance of giving people lots of say, but having limits on, on what's available. I absolutely agree in that you say there is more than one person in the room. I would say even more uh, than three. And I've been looking at finding a different word than patient-centered because all of a sudden that takes the partnership out in a certain way. And what I've been looking and working with lately is more relationship-centered care because it's a whole bunch of relationships which result in you know a complex system so to speak yeah and relationship-based care is also something that's very uh, a lot talked about now especially in in elder care you know how do we make people's uh, long-term care homes an actual home it's all about relationships it's not about the medicine that's delivered or the size of the room it's about relationships and i think that's really important the other thing I'd say about patient-centered care that I, I think it's really taken a beating during COVID-19. I think one of the worst things about the pandemic is people have lost agency uh, and control over their care. You know, we have all these great words and, you know, nice patting on the back. We really want patients. But once the, the rubber hit the road, once we had a crisis, that kind of disappeared. And I, I think that's very unfortunate. And I, I hope we get it back. Yeah. And, and, and you're right when it when it pertains, I mean, I've, I've done some interviews with patient advocates uh, as well. And so you're absolutely right in that they say we weren't involved in any of the decision making on what would happen, what would no longer happen and so forth. What was interesting, though, in those interviews was that some patients felt that they had gained back some of the power in the relationship with the virtual care. 
where they can determine some of the action that's taking place in that interaction. Yeah, so I think virtual care is something that's maybe a really good thing that will come out of the pandemic is we're finally doing something we should have done 20 years ago, is give people the ability to to connect remotely. But again, we have to get that balance right. That doesn't mean abandoning one-on-one care. We have to be careful that no, it's not accessible to everyone. You know, believe it or not, not everyone has internet in their home or a laptop. So we have to be conscious of those those interactions and those limitations. And it's always to me, it's always the same bottom line, uh, the right care in the right place at the right time. Andre, you have now an incredible overview, probably one of the best in Canada on the syndemic, right? Because it's a, a synchrony of several pandemics that are going on at the same time. Now, some would say, and I think that would include myself, that we have been relying a lot on reactive decisions. As a matter of fact, that's not different from what we usually do with the uh, election health cycles and, and so forth. But I think it's accelerated now and the decisions are shorter and more reactive. What do you think Canada has to do better for the duration of the pandemic? And more importantly, what should we be doing to plan for the longer term? I think we have to, you know, it's a crisis. In a crisis, you have to be reactive to a certain extent. I think what the pandemic has really done is exposed failings that have been there for a long time. So, you know, virtual care is an example. We should have done that a long time ago. This forced us to do it. So that's a good one. Uh, the biggest scandal within COVID-19 is the deaths in our long-term care homes. Thousands and thousands of people who died because the care is really inadequate and abysmal. So that, that's that been a problem forever. And now it's really cost people their lives. So it's all these things that I think remind us that we can't afford to to drag our feet and not do stuff. And I hope that's the the ultimate lesson of the pandemic is that we act on a whole bunch of things that have been exposed. And there are many, many issues that have been exposed and we're, we're going to have to work at them. For the pandemic specifically, what do we have to do better? I think we have to, in the short term or in the medium term, recognize that this is here to stay and we have to learn to live with it. So how can we control the spread of illness? Uh, you know, almost like a hundred years ago when we didn't have drugs, et cetera, that's a situation that we're in until we have a vaccine. We have to learn to uh, embrace these notions like social distancing. We have to be a little bit more patient. Uh, we have to get our act together on things like testing. You know, testing is a mess now. So there's a lot of little things that have to be done. But I think the, the overarching one is we have to keep expecting the population to do what they've been doing really well, which is sort of a solidarity, for lack of a better term. People are making lots of sacrifices for the greater good, and they have to do it for a little bit longer, and hopefully that'll that'll pay off. And so what you just said, André, with regards to COVID-19, the present pandemic, one of the other thoughts that I've been having lately is, what if we replace the word COVID-19 with climate change or global warming in order to get it into people's minds that this is a long-term thing we have to deal with as well, and which I see less attention in right now? Well, I think climate change is going to be on our minds. It's going to be the number one health issue for many years to come. And I think it's, it's not coming tomorrow. It's now. We just have to look at the fires in California, uh, look around the, the accelerating so-called natural disasters around the world. All those are due to the changes in climate. And I think that the the impact on this is going to be tremendous. I was just reading this great New York Times magazine piece about 
how climate change is going to spur mass migrations and the impact. I think we can barely imagine the impact that's going to have on the health. If a hundred million people move across a continent, what what is that going to do? It's going to totally change life. It's going to change our economies, etc. That and these are just little tips of the the iceberg that's to come. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I moved into an environment here that uh, where I live completely self-sustained. So I measure the amount of water we get every year because I mean, I live off rainwater. My wife grows 1500 pounds of food. And I can tell you, even in the eight years I've been living here, we've seen a dramatic change in the amount of rain that falls during the summer. And then, of course, in the last week, we haven't been able to really do anything because we're suffocating in the smoke. So it is today. It is not tomorrow that all of this will happen. Yeah. And the positive on this is I think the younger people are going to force us to talk about this. The, the Greta Thunberg of the world are really the the hope out there that to to get the old folks to, to actually act on stuff they've been again we've been talking about this for a long time you know i remember the term acid rain that was from the 80s and that that was about climate change and we we just haven't acted on these things Audrey, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the with the next question because um i'm certainly not represented in that question but you know I read and I listen like all of us do. And there are a few doctors sometimes here and there that, that, that would say, well, because André Picard doesn't have any medical training, how would he be qualified to comment on medical issues? How do you respond to comments like that? Yeah, no, that's a perfectly legitimate uh, com- question or complaint, however you want to frame it. But, you know, I don't, and I should never give medical advice. I think that's important. I'm not a physician. I've never aspired to be one. I I don't give medical advice. I always think of myself as a translator. I take research, I take policy, and I try and make it digestible to the public. So I think that that is my role. My my role is to be a translator, and that's perfectly legitimate. And you can translate uh, economic information, as some of my colleagues do really well, or you can translate medical and policy information, and that's what I do. And that's not about being a doctor. It's about being a a citizen and a communicator. So my expertise, if I have any, is in communication. It's in synthesis. It's not in medicine. So I I hope uh, physicians uh, will will take that for, for what it's worth and recognize that you know, my opinions are, are those are just my opinions. They don't have to be, I don't have to agree with them, but I hope they would respect the, the dialogue and the, the effort I put into having fair opinions and to having a, a science basis to what I say. I must say, I, I rarely see you as a, as a journalist. I see you way more as, like you say, it, a knowledge translator who takes a whole bunch of information and then puts it in a palatable way so that the public understands it. And and that's a very skillful art uh, in order to do that. So thank you. Andre, is there anything else at the end of the interview that you would like to share with our audience? I I think just building on that last point, I think uh, communication has become more important than ever in our society with the internet, with the complexity of politics, geopolitics. And I think people have to recognize this, that the communication aspect is so, so essential to good health, uh, to good policy. And we're seeing this again with COVID-19. This has been a crisis of communicating well. So everything we've done badly in Canada, it's been about bad communication. Everything we've done well, it's been about good, good communication. You know, Bonnie Henry has sort of this 
archetypical Canadian hero. She's a soft-spoken uh, public health official who spent her whole life in the back rooms and now has been thrust into the, the limelight. And the reason she's become a hero is because she communicates well. You know, that's so, so important, that communication part. So I hope people will understand that, they'll embrace that, and maybe even uh, buy a journalism subscription. It doesn't have to be to my newspaper, but invest in good communication because it's going to be good for your health and health of your community. Andre, I'm I'm so grateful for our, our conversation and, and on behalf of the CSPL and, and particularly myself, so many thanks for taking the time out of your super, super busy schedule. And I mean, please keep up your good, much, much needed good work because we all need it. Thank you. Oh, thanks. It's always a pleasure. And back over to you, Pat. Thanks, Johnny. And thanks, Andre. That's our show for today. We hope you will continue to listen to our future podcasts and subscribe to them through your favorite podcast platform. All of our existing podcasts and any new ones can be accessed through the CSPL website at physicianleaders.ca. Until next time.